Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Thought to Action, presented by the London Center for Policy Research. I'm Chris Cordani, Thought to Action's producer, and for this special edition, I'm out from behind the glass for this edition of our show. Feel free to comment on what we're discussing today. Give us a like or dislike if you'd like. We accept those too. Subscribe to our channel and hit that bell. Also, please help spread the word and the discussion by sharing our video on social media with your friends and colleagues. A federal judge has overturned California's assault weapons ban. You know this. U.S. District Court Judge Roger Benitez struck the controversial law down, comparing such items of self-defense to a Swiss Army knife. And anyone who has accidentally poked him or herself with that leather poker or the corkscrew can actually attest to that. In response, though, pro-Second Amendment advocates celebrated a constitutional victory while anti-gun groups are publicly decrying that decision. Embattled governor of California, Gavin Newsom, doubled down on his support of the ban, throwing verbal projectiles at the judge and his ruling. Now, what does that mean for the Second Amendment rights, and what happens next? Will this fight find its way to the Supreme Court, like the upcoming Right to Carry case? On Thought to Action today, these questions will be answered by our panelists. We'll start with London Center for Policy Research President, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Tony Schaefer. Senior Fellow Lieutenant Colonel Retired British Army Tim Wilson, Distinguished Fellow Navy Captain Retired Pete O'Brien, and London Center Fellow Tim Fury. Gentlemen, let's start. Tony, we'll go to you first. I've always been fascinated with the term assault rifle based on the fact that it's a Nazi Germany-derived term. This uh, STG-44, the Sturmgewehr was the uh, assault weapon, the assault rifle that Hitler personally named. So I, I find it curious the left continues to try to use a, a term that clearly derives from uh, Nazi Germany. Just saying. With that said, what we're talking about today are not assault weapons. Assault weapons, even if you use the very narrowly defined Sturmgewehr model, none of the weapons are automatic. Uh, they're not uh, designed to be actual combat weapons. While many weapons on the market today in the AR category, the Armalite rifle category, uh, can do a number of great things, you, you cannot simply pick up one and believe that it's going to be combat ready. So I, I think first the propaganda uh, is, uh, is amazingly thick with the left, especially Gavin Newsom. I'm, I, pr I pr pr appreciate uh, this judge seeing through the propaganda and he did two very, very excellent things. First, he used crime statistics as uh, a method of dis dismantling the legal, I would say probably no legal justification for the assault weapons ban because the, there's no assault weapons. They're simply uh, commonly used firearms, which are, I think a, a better example may have been Lego. Legos very much are like uh, akin to uh, the AR platform. You can pick all sorts of different things to make it 
different ways. Everything from you know smaller barrels with braces to long barrels that can actually have large scopes. It's a very adaptive platform. So Swiss Army knife, Lego, you know, either this or that, you know, doesn't really matter, but it's very adaptive. Secondly, the basis for ownership being that uh, constitutionally protected, there's no reason regarding the fact that uh, the AR is a commonly owned weapon, it's a common weapon, that it should be in any way restricted from general ownership of any law-abiding citizen. So those are the, the, the big pieces, I think, that are significant of his ruling. And plus, I think it's 92 pages, and there's a lot to get through. I suggest people go through it. And I think the good news is uh, it's something that uh, will, I think, sta stand the test of time as it goes towards the Supreme Court. So with that said, I'd like to turn over to the group for discussions. Tim, you want to go next? Sure. I'd just like to say that I think Judge Benitez really has done us all a favor. It is a long decision, but it lays out the history, the legal uh, the legal theories and what have you surrounding, including those of how the decisions are made. Then it goes into the factors involved and the, the, the Second Amendment, and it points out, for example, how the AR is, is estimated by most people, including professionals, as being pretty much the ideal weapon for a militia. I found that a really interesting comment because as everybody knows, the Second Amendment actually talks about how uh, the right of the people, especially related to militias, shall not be infringed. And this assault on, on assault weapons, um, Judge Benitez also lays out in detail why the, the legal definitions that California has used are not about assault weapons. And he's, he's, he's done us a whole raft of favors involved in this. Um, I'm gonna hand it on though and let Tim Fury and Pete have a say, and then I've got something else to add in later. Tim? Sure, I'll jump in. So I, I found uh, you know, very interesting the points that you, both you gentlemen mentioned. Also, I found out, I, I really enjoyed how he discusses the evolution, how when this bill was passed in 1989, you had an entirely different paradigm there. You're, you're talking about, you know, pre the, pre the 2008 uh, Heller decision, pre the 2010 McDonald decision that applied Heller to the states. And it showed that basically when the 89 ban had been put forth, there was not the determination of not only that there had been an individual right to bear arms, but set, set forth the test of what actually creates a, a banned weapon versus something that the civilians have a constitutional right to own. And so he does, I think, a really good job in going through the various tests of that. You know, he goes into a lot of a lot of discussion on, let's say, the common use uh, test, showing that and then comparing it to um, not only, you know, commonly owned trucks, but also other weapons such as stun guns. And to show that this is something that should be um, that, that should be allowed and, and, and passes that Heller test. And I think that eventually will be something that's uh, affirmed by the Supreme Court when this gets here. But it's also interesting when we look at not only the when we're looking at this from the, the time standpoint, if you look at it even with regards to, and I think he, he doesn't really go into mentioning this, but when he starts talking about, let's say we're looking at the recent, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and a lot of the look at criminal justice reform. And he spends quite a bit of time in talking about the subjectivity of being convicted under these laws that you can have anywhere from a misdemeanor to a very severe felony. 
and who winds up being the, the determinant of, of, of what that prosecutor is. And if you're talking about a systemically racist system, this is an entire bulwark of laws that allows people to be you know, locked up under having done nothing at all. And, and I just want to talk about, because, you know, Tony said, mentioned the whole issue of the assault weapons. I mean, the definition of assault weapon is such an amorphous term than changes everywhere from, you know, uh, California to where I'm from in, in New York. But even when the federal law was in place, right, you had parts of that law that were so esoteric that they even started involving where the parts were manufactured from. So part of it, I think it was 18922 uh, uh, S. S, if I recall correctly, said that if you had more than 10 foreign-made parts, including the stock on a semi-automatic firearm, that that could put you in violation of federal law. And I mean, that's crazy. So you have a firearm where the stock was made in, in, in Belarus versus uh, Butte, Montana, and all of a sudden you're a criminal? I mean, this is how crazy some of those laws are. And so, I mean, I think we're all about trying to keep, you know, bazookas and flamethrowers away or licensed or however you want to do that. Certainly not sold at Walmart. But when you have this amorphous decision that basically it snares people, uh, particularly people of color and low income people, depending on where you are in the country or even intrastate, I think that's crazy. And that, that, that can't stand. All great points. I, I just go back to some uh, very simple points that the, the judge pointed out. Uh, the total numbers need to be considered. Uh, you have uh, something uh, north of apparently 8 million people across the country. And uh, I guess the numbers aren't clear in, uh, in California, but uh, probably something over 200,000 folks in California probably could deal more than that, maybe a million. Uh, but again, the, the reporting isn't clear. Uh, own uh, AR-15s or, or weapons uh, similar in style to an AR-15. Uh, a million, eight million uh, total nationwide, a million uh, in California, uh, and yet how many uh, murders have been committed by AR-15s? And the answer is, is uh, uh, extremely small numbers. Uh, uh, we don't have, in fact, the FBI doesn't have good numbers. What they do have is numbers of people who have been murdered by rifles of all kinds. Uh, and that number, for example, for I believe 2019, the last year, if there was full data, uh, was less than 300 people had been murdered uh, by, uh, by rifles of any kind. And to put that in perspective, it, three, obviously 300 people is a, is a horrible number. And if it's somebody you know, it's a horrible thing. But at the same time, more than 600 people were murdered in the United States by hand. That is, they were strangled or beaten. Yeah. Uh, and so if, if you start looking at, uh, will we want to reduce these kind of crimes, um, going after AR-15s uh, seems to be uh, starting at the wrong end of the, of the problem, particularly when you then go and look at how many crimes are prevented by the presence of uh, these kind of weapons. And the answer is in the tens of thousands uh, at a bare minimum, uh, probably substantially more than that. And it raises a fascinating question, which I know Tim wants to discuss, Tim Wilson wants to discuss, is the question of how many crimes could have been prevented in those jurisdictions where weapons are uh, controlled by the government. Uh, and therefore, people were faced with violent crime but weren't armed. And I particularly point out to the, the literally thousands of women who are raped every year uh, in jurisdictions where they 
are not able to protect themselves. And, and it, that, that just strikes me as just horribly unconscionable when you think that, that you know, a, a 100 pound woman trying to defend herself against a 200 pound man has no way really of doing that, uh, Hollywood aside, uh, except being armed. And my answer to simply that is, and I say this to, to uh, female relatives of mine is, why don't you have a weapon? Yeah, I think I agree. If I can just quickly pick up on that, the point that uh, Pete's talking about is that if you take what the figures that Judge Benitez uses, which are FBI figures, the estimates are of about 3.7 million burglaries occurring each year in the US. Of those, about a million are home invasions where there is somebody home. Now, um, I could talk about the English problem where it's sort of double that in Britain, the equivalent would be 2 million. Um, but of those million home invasions, they result in approximately a quarter of a million violent incidents and a, approximately 7,700 women being raped each year. John Lott at the Crime Prevention Research Center is a really good economist, econometrician, and he knows his statistics really well. He is very thorough and the data on his site is A, publicly available and B, his analyses are clear and he's willing to discuss them with anybody. That His new look at the FBI data shows that roughly 43% of attacks in um, concealed carry, constitutional carry areas are stopped by legal gun owners. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But basically what we're saying is that only one third of all the home invasions and burglaries that go on take place in uh, constitutional carry areas. Two thirds are in what I would describe quickly as a gun control area. If those areas had constitutional carry and easy access to concealed carry permitting and all the rest of it, or straightforward constitutional carry, it is likely that the number of home invasions and the number in particular of violent assaults and rapes would then be cut in half in the in some terms, but in less than that. That actually adds up to about 88,000 violent assaults and two and a half thousand rapes a year, which might well be, be um, avoided if there was 
guns available to the victims. Oh, on that point, I think the idea is that there needs to be a balancing of stats because as, as I think everyone has said, there's clearly evidence that these weapons are used legally to deter and protect citizens. Why do they not track that? Because it would reinforce the fact that gun ownership, legal gun ownership is one of the best answers. And uh, for the audience to know, we spoke earlier today as a team a little bit about um, the fact that in LA, uh, the, uh, is it the sheriff there, Tim? Yeah. Sure. Is yeah, saying, yeah. Hey, you need to get armed up. You need, we're, we're now going to issue concealed carry permits because we can't come. And I think that's what the left has always sought to do is try to prevent uh, legal gun ownership. For, I, I, I would spe I, I have some theories of why, but I, I want to stick to the facts of the Benitez, Benitez case, the decision, and uh, what we're looking at regarding the facts of, of just that situation. So as far as I'm concerned, he reinforces the fact that um, a rifle is, the, is good for home defense. Uh, I, I have one, uh, maybe within my arm's reach right now. And it's, it's a fairly compact thing for purposes of being able to, to move around the house quickly, uh, safely, and ready to use it. And I got a light on my AR. It's, you know, it's like Legos. But I think that's the point. This is my neighborhood. The, the citizens here are all invested in their own protection. I'm pretty sure they all have they all have uh, weapons available to them. That leads us to the next question. Moving forward, the Second Amendment rights advocates, the pro Second Amendment side, now has some momentum. We have another case, uh, this right to carry case, going to the Supreme Court. We have this case, which may or may not be overturned uh, in the Ninth Circuit, but then also possibly brought up to the Supreme Court. It's getting a lot of media attention. Governor Newsom is doubling down against it and uh, already throwing the verbal barbs at uh, Judge Benitez. He's probably going to get a lot of help from anti-gun advocates and the mainstream media. So what about getting that message out? How does the Second Amendment or the pro-Second Amendment movement proceed without losing traction? I'm very clear on it. Um, all of us that are pro Second Amendment should be encouraging everybody that we meet and talk to with facts and to, and pointing out that the gun control argument usually relies on emotion. And actually, um, if they were doctors, they would have been sacked for breaking the Hippocratic Oath of first do no harm. I think a uh from you know a lasting standpoint i mean look this is california this is the ninth circuit i don't even think anybody has to even read the case within the court the ninth circuit will probably overturn it uh it's it's the issue of is this it will the supreme court take this case and they're currently obviously they have the new york case uh the new york state rifle and pistol state association versus corlette um that that's going to be a big one the last case that went from new york city to uh the su supreme court the New York actually rushed in record time that I've ever seen to, to change the law to avoid Supreme Court review. This is a concealed carry case, so they certainly won't do that here. And I don't think that California would be willing to give up its assault weapons ban to do the same thing. So if the court takes it, it it's going to go to the mat and there's going to be a definitive decision. But there's also uh, another kind of, I guess you'd say, sister case that a couple dozen states have actually put forward uh, with regards to ammunition uh, magazine capacity out of New Jersey. 
So these are really heavy hitter cases. Now, I think one of the other things that's interesting in this case is that you have a Cuban-born Hispanic-American judge issuing this decision. And so you're seeing more of that diversity in the audience that's now coming forth and supporting the Second Amendment there. And you're also seeing, and this is in the past two years, where you see this massive surge in gun ownership, that that's being made up of a lot of the new uh, buyers are disproportionately black and brown Americans. So I think when you're looking at these majority white um, uh, gun control organizations that have very, as in the last article I published, very dubious backgrounds with supporting a lot of the, um, you know, this institutional uh, racism within policing, this is going to be a lot harder for them to actually come forth and put their arguments out there. So I think we should definitely hit, hit them harder on these points. And, and eventually, I think their base, will, their base will start to fall off at them. But and, and my last point is that I think we also have to continue to be sensitive that although we laugh at a lot of these laws and, and talk about how you know, these, these are guns that are, 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 are quite modular and things like that, that there are people that have been harmed by them. And so we have to be conscious of, of passing laws that actually do help to address preventing that kind of gun crime without putting law-abiding, honest citizens behind bars, because that just goes into the problem of the whole institutional incarceration that has been cut, become a very big issue in the past two years of, of trying to dismantle. Uh, Tim, I agree with your points. The, the one thing I guess we may differ a little bit on is the idea of incarceration or restriction based on situations. Um, let me see. I, I don't want to, I'm trying to be, be very clear on this. I think what is obscene is that pistols are used constantly. Every weekend, there's a mass shooting. So I, my belief is, okay, the AR has been used on occasion, but every weekend, the Glock, huh, that would be an interesting survey. How many Glocks have killed Americans over the, you know, an Austrian-made weapon? Talk about propaganda. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I, I think we need to be steely-eyed on the fact that pistols uh, are far more pervasive in the use of gun violence than rifles. Um, I don't, and suppressors, that's another debate we should probably have at some point, suppressors. Um, Are suppressors ever, they've been used once in my lifetime to commit a crime, once in my lifetime, and I'm pretty old. So it's kind of like, oh my God, uh, suppressors are evil. So this is part of what I think we need to, we need to build back, well, that's a bad term. (laughs) We, We need to release the left or get rid of the left's dominance of the space regarding their language. We, you know, we need to come back and use their appropriate language because it's always emotional. So we need to kind of pull it out. I understand what you're saying about the AR has some bad uh, 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 juju. I get it, but pistols are far worse. And so I think we need to to place responsibility on, on, on where it's supposed to be. The technology is ambivalent to the user. I always say that the, the technology is completely ambivalent but we need to actually focus on those things which are most frequently in the news. And simply put, there's, a, there's literally, in, in three days, there's gonna be another massacre of probably uh, eight dead. Let me go on a record here. Let me see how close we are next week. Uh, eight dead, 48 hit of shot over the weekend in Chicago. I'm sure I, my chances are pretty good. They'll be within two or three points of, of my estimate, but nobody cares because it's pistols. So. Is that right? Is that the is, is that the right answer? I don't think so. We need to focus on the violence issue. Secondly, 
Uh, and, and Tim, I appreciate your framing this because these are big issues. There's other ones that I think we need to to work, which are the two the big ones that we are working is universal suffrage. You and I, Tim, have talked a number of times, Tim, both Tims, about New York. Um, I looked at my concealed carry authorities today because I'm, you know, going down to North Carolina. It's amazing where I can carry and where I can't carry. And in the most place, most of the places I I would want to carry, I can't carry because my permit doesn't allow me to. Uh, New Jersey, oh no, you can't carry in New Jersey. New York, you can't carry in New York. You can't carry in, in Boston. Why? why? Why is my franchise of the Second Amendment lesser in those locations? Why? Why can't I? Why, can't, why is Virginia okay? North Carolina okay? I can't go into Maryland. So the franchise issue is something we all must do. Uh, and, and that links also, I believe, to minorities own gun ownership because in many cities, I believe the restrictions are based on their desire to maintain, uh, to keep minorities from having guns. Just, just saying. So a lot of these places, a lot of these uh, big cities don't want minorities to be armed. There is historical evidence to back that. I, yeah, I, I don't want to go into that, down that rabbit hole, but there's a whole reason for that. Uh, just saying the Democrats were the party of slavery, just saying, just, you know, they were. And, um, and uh, the second fact is responsible response. Uh, the minimum re response. So that's the other thing I think we need to continue to, to, to do. It's like, look, if, if you're on the street, and Tim, maybe this, Tim Fury, maybe this is to your point. If you're on the street and you're faced with a pistol, maybe you ought to have an AR pistol. Maybe if you're taking, you know, some guy's got a nine millimeter, maybe you want to bring a, 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 an AR pistol with a brace. Because, you know, you're, you're peacefully there. He's aggressor. You know, why not have an, enough firepower to put him down? I'm just saying that we need to, to examine this from the perspective of, of how do we benefit people more by having defensive use or defensive availability? Because the availability of the firearm sometimes, just the availability of the firearm deters events. And that's something that's not studied either. So I, that's my two cents worth. If I can just add uh, to uh, a couple of simple thoughts. Um, Senator uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan used to like to comment uh, that uh, we're all entitled to our own opinion, but we're not entitled to our own facts. Um, and and I think the the problem that has been uh, the, the the issue that has been uh, uh, improperly addressed or poorly addressed by those who who want to uh, protect the Second Amendment is that uh, for decades we have been poor at getting out the facts. Uh, the, if you want to take a hard look at uh, crime statistics around the world and around the United States as a whole, you'll find the United States is a, an exceptionally peaceful place. And, and uh, in fact, uh, one of the most people, peaceful places on the planet as a whole. Uh, we are also the most heavily armed place on the planet. Uh, and, and, and again, I get back to this issue of, of facts. You look at places where there are very few number of, of private firearms, places like the Congo, uh, or Afghanistan or Somalia, and they are not peaceful places. Uh, and there are a lot of firearms in the United States. It is a generally peaceful place. And yet, if you look at those concentrations of uh, violence in the United States, you will find that they are all places where it's very hard to have a, a privately owned weapon legally. And, and I think if you go and look at, again, at the numbers, you look at the number of crimes that are deterred by people who legally own weapons, and it's a very large number, it's a huge number. And, and 
I think if we stress and we keep stressing the facts in a calm, clear manner, this argument is, is uh, well, we're not gonna win the argument. We want to enlighten those who are uh, viscerally opposed to firearms and, and let them see, see the light of reason. And this is something we'll be following, analyzing, and discussing continuously on Thought to Action. Thank you again to our panel from the London Center for Policy Research. Feel free to comment on what we're discussing today. Give us a like or dislike, subscribe to our channel, and hit that bell. Enjoy sneak previews and exclusive content on our Patreon channel. Become a VIP subscriber. That's patreon.com slash thought to action. You can also enjoy our exclusive Ask Us Anything sessions, and they get pretty rowdy sometimes. Please help spread the word and the discussion by sharing our video on social media with friends and colleagues, and visit the London Center for Policy Research's website, londoncenter.org. That's londoncenter.org. Thank you very much for joining us on this edition of Thought to Action.